Welcome to the Mental Mastery Golf Podcast by Dare to Dream, the show dedicated to fun, practical mental performance strategies for your golf game. Join mental performance coach Jamie Glazier and co-host Ross Flanagan as they discuss how to manage your mind in one of the craziest sports there is. Welcome back to the Mental Mastery Golf Podcast for now episode four in what is becoming, I believe, one of the most successful mental game podcasts in Australia. So I'm Ross Flanagan, your co-host of the Mental Mastery Golf Podcast and sitting alongside the CEO and founder of Dare to Dream, the mental master himself, Jamie Glazier. Welcome back to the podcast, mate. How are you today? Thanks, Roscoe. Yeah, I'm very well, very well sitting here in this beautiful uh, setting, which is uh, a different setting than what we've had the first few episodes. So um, no, happy to be back. Well, we've taken the podcast outside of Dare to Dream HQ, otherwise known as your uh, fine dining area over there at uh, Dare to Dream HQ. And we're down here at the Business Centre in PK, just catching up, looking over the beautiful view of the 18th South, the uh, practice range down there, where we do a lot of our work together. So mate, We've had some great feedback uh, from the first three episodes. The downloads have been very, very successful, and thank you very much for all of you, again, that have listened. Uh, We're getting a lot of enjoyment uh, doing this and a lot of uh, satisfaction knowing that everyday golfers, just like you, just like me, just like Jamie here, uh, are sitting down and tuning into the podcast and getting something out of it. Because when we talked about this a while ago, that was our intention, and that is what's happening, and that's a tick in the right box for for me, and uh, I'm sure for you, Jamie. So today's episode, what are we focusing on today, sir? Well, look, I think um, after uh, episode two where we spoke uh, about routines and the pre-shot routine, there's been a, a fair bit of discussion point and questions come around the pre-game routine. So today we're going to um, we're going to target the pre-game routine and, and the different elements and aspects of, of that. And for me, I think how that plays a really important part to helping prepare golfers, be in a good frame of mind, be in a good mental and emotional state as they get to the first tee. Because for most of us, we know if we start those first three, four holes quite solidly, that's a really good foundation for a good fun day, but also gives us an opportunity to have have a, a good successful day on the golf course. Well, we've got a number of questions to go through and a number of topics that people have been feeding us uh, over, the, over this little short journey so far. And uh, an interesting case study I'm going to offer you to talk through with the listeners today, Jamie, and that was my attempt at the uh, Oz Open Pro-Am yesterday, which I think I mentioned that I might have played in two years earlier on, so yeah, I don't know what your your thoughts about that. We spoke about it a little bit, Uh, it's going to be an interesting case study, what do you think? Well, look, I think it's it's absolutely fantastic and... For me, what we're obviously with the uh, with the podcast and with some of the content that I've I've got coming out soon, um, it's just about giving an introduction to the mental game for club level golfers. And you know, over time, we my philosophy is building an unbreakable mental game where we can put your mental game under any environment, whether that is the club championships, a tournament. Um, you know, high pressure situations for a club golfer, and we want your mental game to be able to hold up and withstand that pressure. So, for you, yesterday being, uh, you know, in the Australian Open Pro Am, that is, you know, a very high level pressure environment for you. So, for me, I'm really interested to hear about what things broke down and also what things you held up well, what things mentally for you were you surprised that 
you actually really performed well and, and, and mentally held up well under that sort of environment. Yes, no, there were there were highs and there were lows, um, but all in all, I walked away with some very, very good moments that I put into the basket and mm-hmm. I will be able to draw from. So if you've listened to episode one or two, you will know what that content, uh, that topic is all about. But we'll talk about that in a wee bit. So, Jamie, where are we going to kick off with uh, you know the pre-game routine? Because it's obviously worthy of its own entire episode. We've talked about routines we're going deep into into this area. Where yeah. do we start with with that in helping the everyday golfer, the guys like you and I that are sitting at home, sitting in their car, on their commute, listening to this, listening to us help them? Yeah. Where do we start? Yeah. Look, I think it's a it's it's definitely a great discussion point, and we've had some great questions come in via the social networks, um, you know, Facebook and Instagram, in regards to the pregame routine, and and you know there were quite a few questions surrounding things like nutrition, um, caffeine. So we'll, we'll start off with, with those elements of a pregame routine. So when I talk about cognitive performance, which is just the way our, our mind is able to perform, so focus, clarity, uh, decision-making, uh, emotional control, some of those cognitive elements, a lot of those are heavily impacted by things such as hydration, nutrition, sleep patterns. So you know, we look at, um, you know, foods for, for, for good cognitive performance. Um, we look at uh, hydration. So keeping, being, you know, the more hydrated we are, the better quality our brain functions. Uh, alcohol, for example, um, you might see on the PGA Tour and the LPGA Tour, the, a lot of golfers wearing a, a, just a band on their wrist. Now, a lot of that, the players use uh, what's called a whoop band, and the whoop band measures, you know, recovery and heartbeat, heart rate, like all sorts of things. And one of the things we've noticed through the last six months with some of the clients is, if they have some alcohol on a Monday night, um, let's say two glasses of wine on a Monday night, their recovery two or three days later is still negatively impacted by those two glasses of wine. So it doesn't just impact you that next day. It impacts you two, three days later. So we talk about a pregame routine. If you're playing Saturday, I want you to be very, very mindful of what are you doing from an eating pattern point of view and a, and a drinking, an alcohol pattern point of view or a just a hydration or water intake uh, point of view the two or three days prior to Saturday because it's going to have a negative impact on your cognitive performance. So some of the things that... that that we can do to sort of help navigate that, you know, because if I said to people on a Thursday night or a Friday night if they're playing Saturday, not to have those two beers, they'd probably tune out right now. Mm. And to be honest, I would probably tune out as well. Self-exclude. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's Friday night, end of a week. We want to have a couple of, you know, quiet drinks just to, to, to de-stress a little or just to, to relax. But we can do some things to help, you know, manage that. I, I, I take uh, a hydrolyte tablet uh, of an evening, so sort of a night before I go to bed. Um, if I've had a couple of drinks, I'll take a hydrolyte tablet or a Barocca, you know, before I go to bed, um, which just helps to manage the impact the next morning. Mm. Um, and then I'll have a hydrolyte tablet when I wake up again just to make sure that I'm staying as hydrated as possible. I may drink a little bit more during the day if I know that I'm going to have a couple of quiet drinks on a Friday night before I play. So for me, that's, you know, that's really important and something that a lot of, I suppose, club level golfers aren't really aware of even one drink, the negative impact that might have on their on their cognitive performance the next day. So, you know, that's a, a, an interesting point that I want people to start to become aware of just to, to take notice of. 
And I guess at the extreme level, you know, you, if you consider what the high high end athletes, golfing athletes, are doing, you know, they are all, from your experience, and mm-hmm. you know, you've had the opportunity to hang around a number of these guys. Obviously, yeah, yeah. they all have nutrition plans. Yeah, right. Yeah. So as you mentioned, it's it's probably f- pretty extreme for to think that we're going to just drop everything. But my thoughts on around this, and and I do a little bit of it. You know, I, I don't drink alcohol, so I don't have to worry about that part. But certainly the food. Uh, and the intake and and when I eat is a very big factor on how I wake up and feel the next day. I think if you, and tell me if I'm wrong, can make small incremental changes, and I think that's what we've just said, yep. you know, it will have some level of lift in your performance. You know, you don't, do yep. you have to go the whole hog or can you make yep. a, a one-step, two-step, three-step approach to that yep. and get an up and and hope to get an uplift, expect to get an uplift. Yeah, look, I, I definitely think that, that for me it's the, the smaller steps are, are really important because if we try to do too much or change too much, and this is just in anything in life, not just golf, but if, if we try to do too much, we, we sort of get into that state of overwhelm and then what happens is once we feel overwhelmed with something, we generally sort of step away from it and we don't commit to it or don't focus on it. So, um, And the other thing just with alcohol, which is an interesting one, is People react so differently to alcohol. You know, for a lot of my clients, um, I will I will say, you know, during tournament week, you know, no alcohol. But then you look at someone like Eddie Pepperell and, you know, we were at the, um, uh, I think it was the British Open last year maybe and went to the ING party on the Friday night and um, it might have been the US Open, I think. Actually, it was the US Open because Herbie missed the cut. And we're sitting there at the IMG party and Eddie Pepper and Tom Lewis come in and um, Herbie and, and I and, the, and, the, and, the, and Herbie's team were having a couple of drinks and Eddie and Tom come in and then they, they crack open a bottle of wine and I said to Herbie, you know, oh, it looks like you know, you're not the only one that's got the weekend off, mate, because they're, they're getting stuck into the wine. And then I have a look on the, on the leaderboard and Eddie Pepperell's like top 15. Actually, I think it was the Open Championship now that I'm sort of thinking that. And... Uh, Anyway, he, he had quite a bit of wine and then the next night he, he got stuck into it again, the Saturday night, and woke up Sunday morning with a massive hangover and I think top five the Open Championship. Mm. So, you know, here I am saying that don't drink alcohol because it has a negative impact on your cognitive performance, but then someone like Eddie's going to prove that theory wrong. But again, it's just with a lot of these things, it's about learning what works for you. Mm. Um, you know, and, and that's the key to, to, to really, you know, anything in golf. But um, just be mindful of how is your mind functioning on the first three holes and then how is it functioning on the last three? Because generally if, if someone's having a bit of alcohol and then their nutrition plan's not great, the last three, four, five holes, they're just going to be running low on fuel, not make the great, you know, the, the greatest of decisions and uh, not have the greatest of focus and clarity and connection to what they're doing so um yeah for me it's just a matter of 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 understanding some of the things that you do and the impact that it has on you during a round of golf four and a half hours and um it's a long time for us to try and be performing in a peak state so um but again those people that want to improve and want to try and shave shots off their handicap it's it's just information we've got to put out there for them to to see how they can uh they can you know improve that area so let's talk about nutrition for a little bit then. So yep. you've obviously worked 
you know, with players that have you know got implemented uh, nutrition plans. Yeah, yeah. And you know, there's a, a number of uh, areas where you can research and read about this. Yep. So it's not new new information. But what would a new a typical sort of nutrition plan being implemented look like yep. on you know the night before and the day of uh, a, a tournament or a competition? Yep. So you know, obviously, I'm not a, uh, a nutritional yeah. expert, but from a from a basic level, basic understanding, you know, the, the the night before, I think for club level golfers, it's probably quite flexible whether you know you you have pasta to load up on carbs or you know whether you have uh, you know steak and salad. I don't think they're too much of a uh, of a big deal for club level golfers. It's more the morning of and during a round of golf. You know, the morning of staying away from, um, I suppose, high sugar foods or um, you know something that's sort of processed that's it's really got no energy uh, or no no sort of content behind it. It's just plastic, and yep. in fifteen minutes you're feeling hungry again. But things like um, you know, really good foods for, for cognitive performance. Peanut butter, for example, you might put peanut butter on some salada, uh, some little rye biscuits and take those out into the course, a handful of nuts, some avocado on, on a biscuit, for example. Those sort of things are really good foods for energy levels, low on sugar, but also really good from a cognitive performance point of view. So, um, you know, fruits, sometimes fruits like bananas, high in sugar, so they can spike your energy levels and then and then drop. So generally what most people do as well from a club level point of view, that they won't eat for like nine holes and then all of a sudden they're having this massive, you know, I'll have a pie or a sausage roll or something quite big and they think that's enough. But what I prefer to do is break break things down into three whole blocks. Every three holes, take a bite of something, have a quarter of a banana, um, a small handful of nuts or, you know, two little rye biscuits with some peanut butter on it and just snack so that you're always grazing, you're always topping up your energy levels. You're not letting those energy levels get too low. So that's a common mistake I see from a lot of club level golfers. It's a mistake that I make on a weekly basis and I can... I cannot report any increased performance after a pie or a sausage roll at <laughs> halftime. Uh, all I can report is I've ended up with a burnt mouth usually, or or pie or sauce down the front of, down the front of my Puma Foot Joy or whatever yeah. brand of clothing I've got. Yeah. That's all I can report. So, yeah. I, but I definitely, you know, in seriousness, um, I can't remember feeling great after eating like that, and I'm I'm that guy that that has you know ripped into the club or the halfway house and, and got something because because I haven't put the work in all the time in you know to eat. Yeah. Beforehand. Yeah. But you see and you read and you've you know, we've all you know seen the golf magazines that you know outline these programs that the guys do. I it's something I need to work on. So the holes, so every three holes, we yep. talked about yep. that. Yeah, yeah. So every three holes definitely. Um from a hydration point of view, every hole Yeah. And again, depending upon, you know, winter time when it's not hot, you know, you probably can get away with it. But when it is hot in the summer months, and it's it's obviously well, it doesn't feel like summer here in Melbourne at the moment, the start of December. But um, in the next couple of months, where it gets quite hot, having a hydrolyte, you know, throw those in your bottle of water instead of just water alone. Those sort of supplements that help sort of you know get things back in the system that you're losing through sweat. I would say to people, drink every hole. Just a little sip at the end of each hole is a great way to just make sure your hydration levels are uh, you know balanced throughout a round of golf. 
So is that what you're popping into your uh, mixer bottle when I see you, you know, popping in powder in? Is that, yep. is that what you're using? Yeah. I generally, generally it will be hydrolyte. If yep. it's um, sometimes I also put in a little bit of a sort of amino stuff that I have from a workout. So if I have a workout in the morning, I, I may have some amino energy, which again, amino is actually really quite good for me. It really helps increase my cognitive performance, my focus and attention and uh, so I just have a, a you know a, a part of a scoop of that if I've had a morning workout just to to have during the round of golf. So because um, I know at some point if I've done a workout at five thirty six a.m. and I'm playing golf at seven thirty eight o'clock, that if I don't top those things up halfway through a round of golf, I can just I'll get flat and and I'm not really good if I'm hungry um, or thirsty. I'm I'm one of those people that get hangry and. Um, yeah, I don't function too well if, if I'm hungry or, or, or dehydrated. So, so there's a question on the on the list there about caffeine. Now, I'm, yep. I'm a massive fan of caffeine. I drink too much coffee. Yep. And uh, something with a bit of a, an addictive um, you know, component, c- to it. component to yep. it. You know, I certainly fall into that category. Yep. I need caffeine in the morning yep. to perform yep. regardless of golf, yep. driving two hours into the city. Yeah. Um, Anything. Yeah. What's the thoughts around caffeine, you know, and the stimulant, you know, the performance effects on the mind of, of stimulants like caffeine? Yeah. Plus or minus. Yeah, look, it's a, it's a, a really good conversation and I think, again, one that there's been a lot of research around and caffeine is a great performance enhancer for a lot of sports, but I don't know if golf is one of those sports. If you look at the impact that caffeine has on us, um, it's it's probably something that's great before a gym workout, something great before uh, a five k run, something that needs some energy and and um, and needs a spike. Um, but golf, I don't think, is that sport. Um, it's called, you know, golf is more of a a calm, quiet, focused sport. It's not 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 something where we need a huge amount of energy so we can run through a pack with a football under our arm. So. Caffeine is a, is a real interesting one and I think it beca- gets back to as well, some people when they have coffee in the morning, it, has, it might have a lesser effect on them versus someone else where it has a really high level effect. So their heart rate gets increased, uh, they get the shakes, um, you know, they may even, it may even trigger a little bit of anxiousness or anxiety. Um, so I think it's really important to understand what works for you. But for a lot of my clients, I definitely recommend um, managing coffee really closely during a tournament week or before a round of golf. So if you're teeing off at 11.30, having a coffee at 8 o'clock, then maybe that's okay. But if you're teeing off at 11.30 and you're having a double shot espresso at 11 o'clock, then I don't know if you're going to be calm, quiet, still and focused on the first tee ready to uh, to put your best swing on it. I've got to say, I wouldn't know what that feels like to be calm. Because yeah, like, yeah. I, I just, just think about it as we talk, you know, I just over-caffeinate. Yeah. You know, and, and we talked about uh, drinks and drink supplements. Now, I, you know, I'll admit that I, um, you know, drink uh, like a thermogenic. Yep. Yeah, so for me that helps with the fluid intake, but it's a thermogenic, which is obviously highly caffeinated. Yep, yep. I think there's one that I've used that I know how it makes me feel, and that's fine. And whether they work or not, you know, I'm, once again, this isn't a nutrition thing, but it's yep. just how it works on my mind. And yep. I, I, know, I know enough about how this makes me feel and what it does 
to me mentally in a performance level and I don't I think it does have that sort of impact but I tried once once before I changed the brand of this thermogenic which yep. which I have most every, most day or before I go for a walk or whatever yeah and play golf but this one must have had a different mix in it which I didn't look I didn't look at the, at the labels I'm not a label reader yeah once I did re- read the label because it had a definite impact on my mind yeah not my mind but just my, the way that you know, you know what I'm talking about yeah 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 I couldn't hold the putter yeah yeah. I, I, I couldn't. I couldn't even look at the line. Yeah, I was jittering. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you know those. Well, I remember. I remember actually. Us. Yeah, I remember a, a game here earlier in the year, or maybe late last year, with Herbie out here at Peninsula. Um, he was running late, uh, and he stopped off and got a Red Bull on his way, and uh, he sort of drank the Red Bull, got here. Bag on the tee, on the tee box. And after we walked down the first fair and he goes, I've got a great idea. He goes, I think we should do some training blocks where I drink Red Bull. He said, because what I felt on the first tee shot there was like how I feel on Sunday on the first tee when I'm in contention. I was nervous, I was shaking, and he goes, maybe we can replicate that. But now, a great, great question and a great conversation. Interesting concept, yeah. Yeah, but... That is the impact that something like that has on us. Now, if we look at the empty stomach point of view, so he obviously hasn't hadn't eaten. You know, if we have coffee on an empty stomach, for me, I know that has a greater impact on me than if I eat breakfast and have a coffee. The impact that caffeine has on me is reduced. Now, I don't know if that is scientifically proven, but that for me is my experience. I will have a double shot coffee in the morning before a workout and I'll eat after. Anytime I eat in the morning, I don't get that same level of that spike. Yeah. But it was just an interesting sort of topic that, um, that, he, uh, that he brought up. And, and again, a great conversation around, okay, well, if we are having to perform in that situation, in that state of physiology, in that state of you know, uh, cognitive sort of functioning, then how do we best condition ourselves, train ourselves to handle that? Probably Red Bull's not the best way, but, um, but I, can, I, I liked it. I can see where he's going because, you know, like these guys when they're training a new concept in a swing and a, a performance element, you know, from what I know about coaching and, and working alongside a coach every day, I see them doing exaggeration drills. You know, if you yep. want to change a feel, yep. exaggerate it. Yep. You know, yep. perform with an exaggerated state yep. and then bring it back to a level where, you know, you can implement. Yep. That's what that. That's what he was saying there. Let's exaggerate it. That's right. And then yep. you know, learn, yep. how, learn how to implement under that exaggerated pressure. Yeah. I- interesting. And, we, and I had some discussions with... Um, young, young ones today. <laughs> <people, geez. laughs> I had a discussion with, uh, with one of the trainers, um, one of the Golf Australia trainers about it. And, um, you know, he was like, look, it's, it's, a great, it's a great example or a great idea. And uh, we could probably look at maybe doing it in a different way or doing it in a very small block. Um, but, yeah, it was, uh, it was great. So I think it's just a matter of helping people understand or being aware of what am I eating and then let's be aware of what impact it's having on me over the next couple of hours. Um, but I do, from a, from a nutrition and a hydration point of view for club-level golfers, things I've noticed is they don't eat enough or they don't eat often enough and when they eat, they eat too much. So it's... Um, yeah, and, and definitely hydration, you know, whether the three cans of uh, VB on the back nine uh, we'd consider hydration, I'm not sure. But, um, yeah, it's just something for people to be aware of and, uh, 
um, again, I've, 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 I've worked with golfers that, you know, having, having three or six cans of beer during a round of golf actually help them manage the nerves. So they wouldn't be able to play if they didn't have those drinks. So now that's not healthy. That's not something I'd recommend. But the reality it is it helps them perform. Look, we're not here to tell people how to live their lives or what. I just want people to understand that some of the brain farts that happen with three, four, five, six holes to go, actually may, those may be caused by eating patterns, hydration patterns, sleep patterns, and just for people to look into it. Um, mm. You know, there's, uh, that, that's a big one, that, that, you know, your concentration levels, your focus levels, if you find they drop over the last three to six holes, take a close look at those things first and foremost. And, um, you know, you might see some things in there that they're, they're going to help you shave one, two, three shots off your handicap in, in literally six to eight weeks. And, and that's what we're talking about here. You know, yep. We're talking about absolutely at that level. Yep. So, mate, what's... Uh, What's uh, next? So the the next couple of questions, which are a discussion point around um, that pregame routine, is definitely around warm up, range sessions, stretching, um, and how to best prepare, you know, yourself the hour, hour and a half before a round of golf, so that you can actually step on the first tee ready to go, um, and. You know, again, this this component in itself could be a two-hour conversation. So, I want to try and come in with some short, sharp, um, sort of, uh, I suppose, topics around what are some of the things that we can do to make sure um, that we all step on the first tee ready to go. Um, you know, when we look at the, when we look at stretching or physical activation, we call it. Um, again, that is very you know individual. Some people need their body to be loose, to be warmed up. They might have an injury, so they need to make sure that physical activation is there. Uh, one for me, I know that if I don't somehow get my body activated, physically sort of moving, then I can get to the first tee and, my, and be very stiff and then play the first couple of holes quite poorly. Um, so, you know, again, just um, uh, we actually are going to get um, a uh, – a golf-specific trainer on the program coming up um, in one of the episodes shortly, uh, Ollie Yorn, um, who will be able to give the listeners some some understanding of the importance of a physical warm-up. I, I'm a big believer in, in, in the importance of it. I see the negative impact it has on my golf game when I don't do it properly, um, and I see the positive impact on my golf game um, over those first three or four holes when I do do it properly. So... Um, so that's something that, uh, yeah, Ollie's going to be able to help us with moving forward. I can't wait to, to do that with Ollie and bring what I learned from Ollie uh, to everyone. Now, back in September, August, I did a program with Ollie yep. and basically saying, you know, hey, my, I'm obviously ageing, you know, some of the flexibility is waning. Uh, I want something around that so I can help increase my mobility and maintain my mobility and increase my flexibility. Took me through a great program. It was very, very, very good. And I said to him at the end, I said, so, okay, mate, so pre-game, what do I do? What, what part of that do I do? He went, all of it. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's how important it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it's we spoke about it before we, we, we started recording today about how we can fall into a pattern of wanting to do everything. Mm. You know, we want to... We want to hit balls. We want to do some short game pitching, putting. We want to warm up. 
that could take two hours. Now, the reality of this for most of us is we don't have two hours before we tee off to prepare. Mm. That's just not our reality because we're busy either at work, we don't have time, we've got family. Like it's golf's a four and a half an hour episode minimum anyway. By the time you travel, like it's to adding two hours prior to our war, our, our tea time is just, it's not going to happen for most people. So we want to just, you know, give people some 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 ideas about how can you, you know, the, the range stuff that we're going to talk about here is we can, I can reduce your range warm up, take 10 or 15 minutes off your range warm up, but make it purposeful and make it specific to the environment you're about to go and compete in so that you can actually feel the benefit of what you've just done as opposed to beat balls for an hour searching for your swing and then get to the tee and still not really have much confidence about what's about to transpire. So, you know, for me, some of the things based around your range warm-up, um, you know, there's there's obviously that, you know, just hit a few balls to loosen up and, and get your body moving and feel, you know, golf ball on club face. And um, then... Some of the things I really like to do, and they can be done in sort of a three-tier approach, is one, hit a few balls, whether it's five balls with a little bit of a consequence. So, you know, look at a, look at a small target out there. So it might be um, seven iron, you might say 140 metres, 150 metres. Pick two targets, uh, two points out there that you're trying to hit four out of five balls in between those two points. So that, that might be a 15-metre wide target point, depending upon your skill level, um, you want to try and hit four out of five balls in between those two targets. And you can't move on to the next club until you achieve that. Sometimes people will go, well, I was there for half an hour and I didn't get off my seven iron. And I'm like, okay, what happened? Well, I started off pretty well. So even though they didn't hit a driver, they're actually their mindset, their mental process, they're actually mentally prepared for that consequence environment. Even though they didn't hit a driver, they're actually going through that pressure situation. And a lot of a lot of what we experience in the first couple of holes doesn't come down to did we physically warm up, but did we mentally warm up? Did we activate uh, you know, our mindset, our focus, um, our nervous system in a way that helps us to feel comfortable with this moment? So that's the, that's the first tier. Second tier, I would say, to, to do that in a random fashion. So hit one seven iron to that target, then hit a three wood to that target, then hit a driver to that target. Now you've got to hit a little dinky 40-foot chip shot. So replicate what you're the, the patterns of behaviour that you're going to, to undertake out there on the golf course. Um, so that's the second tier is just adding a bit of randomness and then the thing that we do a lot with elite players and it is, I think, one of the most powerful processes to end a range session is play the first three to four holes that you're about to start with on the range. So if you're teeing off the 10th tee, play the 10th, 11th, 12th or 13th if you've got time. And what that does is that helps to trigger and activate some of that right brain visualization because you're on the range but you're imagining the 10th hole or the first hole you're imagining where your target is and where you want it to finish so you're really tapping into that right brain activity and um, the great thing is you play those first three or four holes uh, on the range and when you get onto that first tee you feel comfortable you feel like you've already been here before okay and which which you have you you were there 10 or 15 minutes ago imagining this same situation so that is a great way to end 
uh, your range warm-up. Um, and even if, again, if you've got 20 minutes, hit a few balls to, to feel comfortable and then actually go through some of that random shot shaping and target consequence for five balls or ten balls and then you know hit ten balls playing the first two or three holes uh, of the, the golf course, the side of the golf course you're about to, to start on. Make sure that we're not asking you to do more. We're just asking you what you do to actually relate to the environment you're about to go into and create some purpose and, and meaning behind your warm-up. So um, so that's a great thing. Same goes for short game stuff. Um, you know, uh, after you hit a few balls, you know, just feeling that, that ball on the club face and getting comfortable with, with those short game feels, then just select different targets and different shots and uh, different clubs. Just really, you know, create that randomness so that you've got a feel for a wide variety of shots um, that you, you're going to have to need to, re- you know, rely on when you get out onto the golf course. So... I was watching the guys at the Oz Open on the range yesterday and just trying to you know, see what I could glean from what they were doing. So they were going out to play in the Pro-Am and, and some of them were practising because they'd played in the Pro-Am already. And that's definitely, you know, it would appear what they were doing. You know, yeah. that there was some drivers being hit, quickly transitioning into some irons, a few little chips, uh, a couple of guys were using some training aids. Yeah, They were all out there playing in that afternoon and... Uh, it was a very interesting, you know, fifteen minutes for me to stand there and watch standing next to Louis Oosthuizen. Yeah, yeah. He, he'd actually played in the morning, so um, um, just watching you know him play, uh, swing the golf club was enough inspiration to want to go out and perform. Yeah, yeah. And it's, I mean, this is the great thing is you can watch these guys do their thing, and you know, we're never going to be top ten in the world, top hundred in the world, probably never, ever, ever going to be top. 10,000 in the world, but it doesn't mean we can't take some of what they do and some of it relates to to our own performance. A lot of it may not, um, especially from the mental game. Like I I perceive a lot of the mental game uh, psychology component of golf from the elite level doesn't relate to us because their skill, it's just just a completely different ball game. But there's some things that do. And, you know, when you look at, say, Tiger, um, you know, go through his warm-up, you know, he's picking a target that he's, he's, he's hitting out there. He's connecting that with, the you know, this will be the second shot into 15 later today and the pin, he already knows the pin sheet, so pin's back left, so I'm going to hit this here and, and this one doesn't want to cross over the pin. He doesn't want to have this ball go left. So he's creating a bit of a consequence environment in his warm-up session, which is just, again, activating his mind and his nervous system to deal with what he's about to, to, to get himself, you know, the environment he's going to get himself into in, in the next 20 minutes, half an hour for, for the next five hours. And um, we can do that a lot more. So if you're at the President's Cup next week and come into Melbourne, when you watch the guys in the range, have a real look at what they're doing. Have a look at when they're changing their clubs and just the process that they're going through with their caddies and, and think about what Jamie's just mentioned and, and just to see if you can... Pick, uh, pick some of the routines and patterns that they might be going through. So, mate, what about transitioning from you know, the, the, the range environment to first tee? Yep. I think a really great sort of discussion point after what you just said about watch the players there next week at the President's Cup, I want everyone to watch their intensity levels, mm-hmm. um, how hard they're working, so to speak, versus how relaxed they are. Mm-hmm. They've got this beautiful balance between focused and being calm and relaxed where 
again, you watch a lot of club-level golfers, the moments they warm up before a round of golf, their intensity is high, they're trying too hard, they're getting frustrated, um, they're not calm and relaxed and just having fun. Now, I know that a lot of that comes down to competency. It's easy for those guys to be relaxed when they're shelling peas and just making it look easy. But one of the most important things is, is if we look at what we call sort of a mental and emotional state, okay, so if we think about what is the best state, when you play your best golf, what state are you in? Okay, so if you recall the best three or four or five rounds of golf you've ever played, what state were you in? Were you calm, relaxed, intense, focused, um, happy, whatever it might be? The important thing for the hour or so before we tee off is to make sure we're in that state. So for me, um, if I was to think back about when I played my best golf prior, I'd definitely be calm. Um, I would be quite intense so intense from a competitive point of view not from an intense from a trying too hard point of view but i would be very competitive when i played my best that's one thing that i've really struggled to get back into my game the last four or five years is competitiveness i'm just going out for a walk and i don't actually care what i shoot and i think i'm nearly ready like i'm getting a bit more competency back in my game just having some lessons learning about how to swing a golf club again properly, short game stuff. So getting my skill sets, and I think I'm probably not too far away before I can actually try and activate some of that competitiveness, but I've had little to no competitiveness in my body, and I know that when I've played my best, I have that. So um, it's not an intensity. Oh, it probably is a little bit of an intensity. I would be a little bit more intense than 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 the average person when I'm playing my best. Sometimes that might come across as like if I hit a shot I'm not happy with and I might sort of like, oh, damn, you know, I might react. It's not a negative reaction. It's more a reaction out of the merging between intensity and competitiveness. So for some people out there, they come to me and they say, oh, look, I'm a bit of an angry golfer. When I hit a poor shot, I get angry. And they perceive that to be a negative mental pattern. But when we break it down... It's just that's where they are. If they're intense and that's where they play their best golf, they will probably show a little bit more emotion than, than most. And that's not negative. That's just who they are. Yeah, right. So um, I say to people, the important thing is don't try and bottle that up. Let that out. You know, Don't break clubs and swear and yell and scream, but, but, but just allow yourself to express that little bit of intensity in a, in a healthy way um, as opposed to bottling it up. People perceive, you know, they, they should bottle things up and, and that, that doesn't work. Um, you know, it, it might work for some people, but, you know, it's... Um, so I think the important thing is to understand what type of emotional state, mindset, attitude do you want to have and do you think is the best for you and then what are you going to do in the hour, 90 minutes prior to access that state? So whether it's listening to a certain playlist, you know, if you if you if, if calm and 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 um, relaxed is your state, your peak performance state, listening to a heavy metal band in the car on the way to to golf is probably not going to help. So just have an understanding of what things do I need to do um, to 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 keep me in that state. For some people, I actually say to them, instead of going to the range, go and sit inside and relax. Um, 
have a, have a, have a coffee or have a drink or whatever it might be that helps them stay nice and relaxed. So um, the lady at Royal that we spoke about, um, her sitting down reading the paper having a coffee was just it creates this st- calming state for her. But that was generally on days that she didn't play golf. So when she played golf, she would go to the range, warm up, get stressed, get anxious. So we actually got her to have a decaf coffee sitting there instead of hitting balls. Mm. Do that for 25 minutes. Go and have a bit of a putt, have a bit of a chip because um, her body was never really much of an issue for her. And uh, that had an amazingly positive effect on her ability on the first three or four holes to play golf. She didn't hit a ball on the range. So, um, but if I do that, because sometimes I'll get to the first tee and I won't warm up, I, I, I just need to look at, look at my scorecard yeah. and I can tell it doesn't work. Wipe, wipe, wipe to start with and I'll have 30 points. I'm like, hmm, that's annoying. Well, let's get into the case study from, if it, is it okay to get into the case study that I'll bring to the table from yesterday? Perfect. Because... You know, you mentioned about not warming up. Now, unfortunately, at a pro-am for, you know, the amateurs, you know, you, you don't get access to the range and, and, and there isn't anywhere to, to warm up. I think I might have snuck onto the putting green and had a little little putt next to Dave Michaluzzi, who's a PK member who was up there, and said, day to Dave. And that was as much of a warm-up as I got. So next thing is you're shunting off to – we were on the 13th tee and my playing partners yesterday were Minwoo Lee, who uh, needs no introduction – uh, Mike Brown. Now, Mike Brown is an Englishman, ex-military, um, suffered a training accident and unfortunately lost the use of his leg, which led to its amputation. So Mike's out here playing in the Australian All Abilities uh, Championship, um, which runs in conjunction with the Oz Open and they play in the field. Um, he was my playing partner. What a sensational um, man he is and very inspirational. And I was playing with the great man Paul McLean from Bushnell. Thank you very much. So the preparation was Neil bolt out to the tee and I knew that it was going to take me a hole to warm up. And it did. Yeah. Block it right, punch it through the trees, short into the bunker. But by the third hole, I felt warm enough and, and comfortable enough that I was you know, about to hit some good shots. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden I pull out a driver and rip, rip a drive. Straight down the guts, you know, we'll, we'll, sorry, that's my, straight down the guts and it felt great. Like it feel, really felt great and I thought I'd arrived at the game and I was ready to play. Yeah. And then I step up to the 54 degree wedge into the green. So I, I, I'd ripped it. Like it must be 300 metres. I stepped up 54 metres into the green. And the cameras were there to capture some of uh, Mike Brown and Brie, Loch- Brie Lachlan wanted to talk to Mike Brown. All of a sudden, any sort of sense of calmness and being able to handle this competently and confidently just went away. Hmm. So, and I bladed it into the TV tower. Yeah. And it just was this, you know, now that we've been talking about this, I could feel these extremes. I could feel – I knew that – I knew for the first three holes that I wasn't warmed up and I accepted that yep. because that I had no opportunity otherwise. So I was okay with that. It wasn't great first couple of holes, but it was a sort of format that, you know, I had some cover because, you know, there was other playing partners that were contributing to a team score. So that was okay. 
But as soon as I got into that pressure environment, it wasn't even like a little bit. It went to the extreme. Yeah, yeah. And it was, you know, I sort of accept, you know, I accepted it. It was dis- I was disappointed, but I was more so interested knowing that we were getting together today to, to sort of apply some thought to, you know, what's going, what's going on here? You know, how can I, how can I learn to deal with this situation? Yep. Because it happens in the club environment. You know, I, I put myself under pressure when I'm down the first here with you, you know, or the eleventh here. Yeah. You know, after ripping a drive, and and you've, you've seen it happen, but I just was really aware of it. Yeah. I think the biggest thing is from, from that discussion point, we've spoken about this in, a, in an earlier episode, about the narrative that we create about our performance. Your narrative is, I haven't warmed up, I'm going to struggle the first couple of holes and I probably won't play that well. And then the reality sets in and you don't play that well. So the biggest thing that we want to do is through that thought journal process, um, through that cognitive sequence, having an understanding of thoughts, emotions, behaviours, outcomes, which were all in an earlier episode. So if you haven't listened to those, go back and listen to them. We want everyone to challenge our thoughts. Okay. Because they're not real. Okay, so, oh, you know, I haven't warmed up, I'm going to struggle the first three holes, challenge it. Well, Ross, am I going to challenge, am I going to struggle? Is there a way that I could actually maybe hit some decent shots in the first couple of holes without a warm-up? What possibly could I do right now that I could change that narrative? Well, I'll have a couple of swings. Body feels pretty good. Okay, well, I actually think I can um, hit some good shots. So I need to just make sure I get through these first couple because that's a tendency I have. If I'm, I don't warm up, I don't get through them. So let's just mm. let's just commit to getting through them. Um, and then all of a sudden you, you can start to change the narrative. Um, the other thing that I think is is really important if i said to people from a a putting green point of view let's say all you had was six minutes and all you could do was hit eight putts and i've got a great recipe for you that will help to get your mind focused um, help you to activate a bit of competitiveness help you to activate a bit of consequence um, all within six minutes and eight putts Um, and simply it's a it's a little drill where you get four balls and you hit eight putts, two rounds of four, five feet, 10 feet, 15 feet and 20 feet, just from random spots around one of the holes and you do that twice. And your goal is you've got to try and hole 30 feet worth of putts. This is for a club level golfer. Eight putts and you're trying to hole 30 feet worth of putts. Okay, so... Um, so what we've got there is we've got 50 feet worth of putts each round. Okay. Okay. Sounds, sounds, sounds fairly, uh, fairly doable. Yeah. So, and all you're doing is you're trying to hold 30 feet um, in eight putts. Now, all that does is that helps you to focus on your process, focus on one shot at a time, just I've got to hold this putt, you've got a bit of pressure. It just helps your mind block out all the other things that are going on that I'm being late, oh my God, the old narrative of I'm going to struggle the first couple of holes, and it just helps you to just focus on this shot, this putt, okay, which you warm up that state of mind of just focusing on the, the putt that I've got in front of me right now with a bit of consequence, or oh, this will get me to 30 feet and I've got two putts left. Um, that's preparing you for what you need to do on the first tee, which is I just need to hit this shot down here. Mm. Um, so... 
you know, for me, that's a, a great way to go from the putting green to the first tee and trigger and activate a mental skill that is universal through the bag, not just with a putter. But it's something that we can just do moments before we hit the first tee. But for you, uh, a big one we're going to continue to discuss is just because we have a story and we have a narrative about what we believe about our golf game, it doesn't mean it has to stay that way. Mm. So I want everyone to just be aware of some of their thought patterns around their golf um, and challenge those thoughts. Just challenge them because, as I said about my golf, you know, I've been back playing and, and, and after a back injury being told that I'll never play sport ever again, I'm just grateful to play golf. I just love being out here playing and being with people and and that's been really good for the last three or four years. And it's been really good in helping me blow my handicap out. Um, and that's fine. Um, but now I'm actually getting into my body's in, in better shape Um I want more from my golf now, mm. and that's okay. The, the The mindset or the story, the identity I had as a golfer the last five years, it's been great. But I want to change that identity for me personally. And the people that are listening in, I think the response that we've had to this podcast has been so good that they also are wanting to possibly change the narrative of their story in some capacity and we'll use the mental game as a vehicle to to help achieve that. Yes, you would have thought that after sitting here working with you on this podcast that I might have, you know, had that skill a little bit further developed. But it's clear that, uh, you know, and yesterday being reminded that I probably went in with the wrong narrative, Mm -hmm. it's clear that you have to train it. You know, and, and there were certainly elements of in my game yesterday that I know have improved since we started talking and training on this area. Par threes are a great example. I think in yep. previous episodes we spoke about par threes and that zoning yep. zoning in that whole one hole in one sort of focus and yep. three par threes. Anyway, yeah, very very good. So I know that it's better, but. And I talked about this with Mike Brown and, and we spent five minutes on the range after the round. He just went to decompress and, and just tidy up a little, little thing. And we talked about his mental game mm-hmm. and he has a mental coach as well. Yep. And he did, he does exactly what you articulated before. Yep. You know, he plays the first couple of ho- holes yep. on the range as the last thing that he does. Yep. But, yep. Um, well, it's a great point you make about talking about stuff versus training stuff. Yep. Like I'm a mental performance coach. And if people were to walk around the golf with me, they'd be like, oh, that's not something he would probably train his clients to do, which is, which is true. You know, my mental game has some improving to do as well. Mm. But it comes back to I haven't trained it. I'm not focusing on training my own mental game. Yeah. So I can't expect those patterns to be present and to be my default setting, my dominant pattern out there under the heat of battle. So, um, and that's why, you know, we're wanting to, to create this podcast to give people as much information as possible. Um, and the thing about today is take one or two points of today's podcast about the pregame routine and commit to executing those and focusing on those elements over the next four to six weeks. Don't try and do everything. 
We don't have time to do everything. We're not a professional golfer where all we do is work on our game. We have to fit golf in with life. So we want to take little snippets and commit to training and building those. And then inevitably over time, that becomes an automatic pattern, a foundation that we can then build upon. And I'm just about to launch um, a video program on the Dare to Dream website. Uh, It's a free video program. It's an introduction to the mental game and it's eight tips to building an unbreakable mental game. It just gives you a little bit of clarity on some of the key elements of the mental game, a couple of practical exercises that you can you can start to apply, which is the training that Ross and I have just, just talked about. Um, and, and that's going to be sort of uh, up and about on the, on the website in about 10 days' time. So, um, you know, any, anyone that follows me on social media or, or is a member of the website will get notifications on that. But, um, yeah, these things have to be trained, you know, and uh, that's what we're, we're trying to do is just give everyone a little bit of information and on how to start training their mental game. Yes, it's a muscle. And Mike Brown very much reminded me yesterday. He said, you know, I consider my mind just like any other part of my body that I have to train. Yep. And, uh, you know, clearly I need to keep training my mind, yep. especially for that narrative. Yep. Yep. Uh, for me, the, the focus is narrative, my how I go into each round as part of my pre-game routine. Yeah. And I think that's probably the biggest takeaway for me that I clearly need to keep working on. Yes, there are other parts of my range preparation and my stretching preparation and all of that which I need to need to do and you know, and fit it in as you just discussed, mm-hmm. you know, busy blah 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 blah. Yeah. It's not an excuse, but you know, yep. it needs to be worked on. Yeah. And but I'd that, say I'd say to you, you know, just quickly, you don't have to change your pre-game warm-up or routine, just change the story about what it means to you. So, um, yeah, that's great. And and again, for everyone out there, be aware of the the narrative and challenge your thoughts. Okay. Great. Is is there there other other – anything else? Where do we get hold of you, Jamie? Give everyone a little Um, shout-out. Yeah, the website is uh, www.daretodream.com.au with the number two. So – if you uh, jump on the website, sign up. It's free to, free to, to be a member of the website. There's a, a large amount of free mental game content, uh, blogs, articles, videos. And then, as I said, uh, the launch of this eight tips to an unbreakable mental game, which will be uh, launch date is 16th of December, but could be a couple of days earlier. Um, so, uh, and then Instagram, Jamie underscore Glazier. Um, and, uh, yeah, the Facebook page, which is Dare to Dream Mental Performance. Can we book a session with you at any stage? Yes, absolutely. Um, so we've got uh, one-on-one sessions available. Also in the new year, there's going to be workshops, um, two- to three-hour workshops uh, that people will join. So, um, once again, all that all that information will uh, be passed out through social media and the website. So, um, yeah. Well, mate, another episode in the can. Keep training, keep working, keep listening and implement one or two things out of all of the podcasts. Listen to them all. Listen to today. Give us some feedback if you want uh, any other information, if you think we need to do more, change things up, if you want some information to answer specifically, whether it's personally or in private, just shoot Jamie a note and... We'll do whatever we can to uh, keep adding value to you and your game because that's what it's all about. Just guys like us wanting to be better and wanting to improve our games of golf. Jamie, thanks very much for your time again. Thanks, Roscoe. Until next time, where we might meet, we don't know, maybe uh, 
back at the Data Dream HQ or maybe down here. We'll see how we go. Anyway, thanks again. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening to the Mental Mastery Golf Podcast by Dare to Dream. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast and head over to daretodream.com.au for exclusive access to the free video program, Eight Tips to an Unbreakable Mental Game. Join us next time on the Mental Mastery Golf Podcast.